Audio Jungle. everybody, welcome to the Morning Market Briefing. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Hope you're doing well. Quick snapshot of the markets. Futures down, uh, for the most part, Dow futures down 57, S&P down 66, uh, NASDAQ down 84 basis points, oil down just a touch, gold's up, silver's up. Uh, nobody cares about crypto, so we'll... Big day for soybeans, though. Big day for soybeans. The soybeans are back. Uh, soy boys paying through the nose for this stuff. Uh, jumping in right away, uh, Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan. I mean, did you think she was not going to go to Taiwan? I didn't. I thought I didn't think she was oh, going to go. I felt like she was going to Taiwan the whole time. It just seems like this is a real crusade for her. Like she's, she's showing her bravery. Uh, this is a classic don't be a martyr situation. Yeah. So first speaker of the house to go to Taiwan in 25 years, first since Newt Gingrich. Uh, Gingrich, however, went to Beijing first before going to Taiwan. Uh, White House trying to defuse this situation. I don't know, Ben, what's what's the angle here? Yeah, so they repeatedly trying to make clear that Nancy Pelosi does not represent the executive branch of the uh, United States. Right. Uh, they're saying that there is no reason to use a potential visit to justify or to spark some sort of crisis or conflict, said John Kirby, the White House's National Security Council guy. Um, Biden told she in his conversation last week that the U.S. policy on Taiwan hasn't changed and that uh, Congress is independent from the executive branch. Um, but, you know, Pelosi, China is saying Pelosi, allowing Pelosi to visit without consequences would only invite more senior political officials to actually go to China and therefore uh, it needs to be stopped. And so they, they have said in a quote that probably everyone's heard of is that those who play with fire will perish by it. So, um, well, I, th I think they actually said the official quote was those who play with fire, fire will get burned, but uh, perish is certainly stronger. Um, she's previously taken some risky trips, though, one to Tiananmen Square in 91 and then one to uh, Kiev back just back in May. So she's no stranger to... Uh, pushing, pushing and pushing a little bit um, and, and trying to play in that gray area. And I think she's trying to do that now. She's brave. She's just so brave. Yeah, super brave. I, I mean, if she ends up being Archduke Franz Ferdinand and starting World <laughs> War III, I mean, good for her, but she's not going to be able to bask in that glory for all that long. Uh, so I guess we'll see how today goes. Do we know what time she's supposed to publicly appear? Because it is, this is a dumb question, but is it tomorrow there already? It's, I think it's yeah. like 14 hours. So, so it's probably, it's, it's getting close, it's getting close to tomorrow. It'll, yeah. yeah it'll, it'll be around kind of noon. <laughs> Alternate two, headline, two Nancy Pelosi travels to the future. Yeah. Um, that I, I would say as far as markets are concerned, I, I would say that the market's probably pricing in some of this today. Um, and to the extent that she get goes to Taiwan and leaves, it probably, probably would rally on that. Yeah. Uh, we did get ISM manufacturing yesterday. Uh, the headline number down just a bit, 52.8 down from 53. Ben, it seemed like prices were kind of the big story, at least in our initial read of this. What stood out to you? Yeah, I do think that prices uh, were positive. I, I thought that this was one of the better ISM manufacturing reports that we've seen uh, for some time. Uh, I was surprised the market actually didn't rally more on that news. 
there was some commentary that was definitely referring to a slowdown in business. Uh, and I do think that that's taking place, but we also already know that. Um, it makes me a little bit more optimistic on prices. Uh, it, it's probably a little bit more accentuated in the, in the manufacturing side of the economy because of freight and energy costs, which fell in June. Um, and the bigger issue right now is on the consumer side. So uh, we'll get the ISM services number, which will be more consumer facing. That'll come out tomorrow. Uh, that'll be based on some retail trade numbers as well. Um, so that'll be uh, that'll probably be more impactful at this point in the cycle than the manufacturing side, because the manufacturing side is still working through a backlog and uh, kind of just going. Uh, new orders weren't great. Uh, employment wasn't great, but uh, definitely better than I was fearing. Yeah, the slowdown definitely kind of you see it all over some of the commentary. Uh, one company saying inflation is slowing down business, another saying growing inflation is pushing a stronger narrative around pending recession concerns. Many customers appear to be pulling back on orders. Uh, another company still saying our markets are still holding up. However, I believe a slowdown is coming. We're cautious about going out too far with orders. So, uh, certainly seems like we are on the precipice of this as we look at uh, just the way companies are communicating in terms of what their strategy is looking at. At the end of the day, a lot of this is attitudinal. And I think that beginning in May and then certainly into June, there was a big psychology shift, especially in tech world, especially in retail and among consumers as well as gas prices were high. And, and people said, man, we really, really, really need to pull back on stuff. They just bought their tickets for their summer vacations. They didn't have any money and they pulled back. And now they feel a little bit like they've taken a breath and July was a little bit better, um, but I don't think that ultimately changed it, changes the trend, uh, the inexorable trend of what we're seeing, um, which will mean that you'll have these attitudinal shifts within the broader trend of down. Uh, and I think July was a little bit of a positive attitudinal shift. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We do get the Jolt's job opening data today at 10 a.m. We'll give you those numbers uh, tomorrow, the June estimate. Uh, is for 11 million down from 11.3 million openings in May. Uh, I feel like in the overall scheme of the employment picture, this is almost more circumstantial data, uh, especially given some of the lag that we have in the reporting. Uh, but Ben, how do you kind of think that's going to shake out? I think it's going to be relatively positive. I think there's going to be fewer tech and retail jobs, uh, especially if you looked at LinkedIn data. Uh, it looks like the hiring definitely fell down in the month of June. Whether or not we see that in the job openings data, though, is difficult to tell. I think we're going to see more of an accurate picture on the Friday report when we actually get unemployment, which will also incorporate not only job openings, not only hiring, but also uh, the net impact of layoffs and people just saying, yeah, the job posting is still out there, but we're not really actively pursuing it. Yeah, it's a tough read through because job openings could go down, but that doesn't mean they got filled. It might be just they got dropped. Which I think the Federal Reserve might actually want. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, they, they, they want lower job, fewer job openings. So I, I think the worst report for the market right now would be perversely like a 12 million number on the job openings or 11 and a half million number on the job openings, because that would just mean the Federal Reserve continues to keep its foot firmly planted on the brake. If we get something in the 10 million range, uh, especially in the low 10 million, I think that that's probably positive for the market, but uh, really it's just a punt until the Friday report. Yeah. Uh, on the earnings side, uh, we've got Caterpillar that reported uh, down about 3.7%. Uber 
up 12%. So kind of a, uh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> if the bar's set low enough, uh, you too can succeed type story there. Ben, what stood out from those companies? Pricing. Um, Caterpillar also saw a little bit of a decline in China, which shouldn't really have been a surprise given the lockdowns. But I, I think that that demand there is not coming back as quickly as people thought. Uh, definitely thinking that I, I think there was too much inventory, frankly, built up for Caterpillar. Um, and even in their guidance, they're talking about higher sell through. Notably, they're not talking about sell in in the Q3 and the Q4 quarter. So, so my guess is that there was a lot of inventory built up, probably a bit too much, especially in pockets, especially in China. And as a result, I think that uh, that's probably what's driving Caterpillar lower. In terms of what they're actually doing, um, they're raising prices pretty aggressively in construction. Uh, the average price went from 7.7% up to 9.5% in Q2. Resources went from 78 to 125 And energy and transportation went from 2.6 to 5.2. And they expect higher prices in the second half of the year as they expect those higher prices to more than offset the manufacturing cost increase. So uh, inflation, definitely a theme for Caterpillar uh, with a China offset on volume. And then Uber, uh, they're... They're just taking more and more money. So whenever you book an Uber, the Uber Eats or Uber uh, Uber Drive, they're now taking twenty six point six percent for when you when you're a passenger, and nineteen point four percent when you do Uber Eats, and that's up significantly uh, from eighteen point seven and fifteen point two on a year over year basis. So they're taking about thirty percent, twenty to thirty percent more than what they were taking this time last year. So drivers not necessarily getting paid all that much more, but uh, a lot more money is flowing to Uber, which is what they wanted to do. Uh, the CEO said in May in a letter to employees that they really need to accelerate profitability. So what they're doing is they're keeping more for themselves. They're paying their drivers less and they're cutting costs on a corporate level, which is good for Uber stock, I guess. Uh, it's up 12%, you said this morning, but it's not so good for their drivers and it's not so good for their passengers. Um, but time Uber's will tell us it's good for the brand. I, I don't Uber much, but it's so expensive. So expensive. We looked at an Uber on Saturday night just from the battery to our house. It's like eight miles. Call me old school, but I just took a taxi cab. Yeah. I mean, people were shocked and appalled when I was just like, oh, we're just going to go home in a taxi. And, what's the difference and, we say, and we saved like $35. It's it, it's crazy what the what they're charging. I I think one of the reasons is we've kind of left. I don't know. Is it taking the blue pills <laughs> in terms of the the Uber now? It we're not basing it on uh, any law of supply and demand anymore. It's just based on need, and they're pricing based on they're taking out a huge set of the consumer base and just saying, look. These consumers are completely price insensitive and we're going to price as high as we can. We're going to forego all those consumers that don't really add value. We're just going to go for yeah. the cream of the crop um, and service those guys because those are the ones who will actually make us profitable. And it was really easy when they were a private company to just lose money hand over fist, undercut taxis. And then, you know, once you become public, you got to make money. Yep. You know, VCs don't care. They'll keep pumping money into you. But once you go public, you know, they want a return on investment. And I think that's what we've seen over the last couple of years, really. Yeah, it's, it's just a bizarre 
a bizarre model where I, I think you're exactly right, Ben. I don't think the economics are, I mean, I remember surge pricing used to be such a big deal. Like you'd be like, Hey, let's leave a game early to avoid surge pricing. Now it's like the pricing almost doesn't matter. Like yeah. it's always more expensive than you think it should be. No matter where you are, where you're coming from, where you're going, it's just kind of insane. And you talk to the drivers and they're not making a ton of money. No. It's, it's just Uber. And, and if you think about it economically, you have a middleman now. With a taxi, you didn't have a middleman. Yep. Yeah. And the taxi, right when I got in, it goes, good choice, folks. Uber and Lyft leave a lot of folks stranded, man. He must have said that 12 times. It's true. He gave us a business card, one of which was completely blank. He gave us two business cards. One was blank on both sides. One was just a card. You yeah. write your own story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 830. Talk to you guys soon. Welcome to Titan HST's Business Continuity Today, hosted by Todd DeVoe, where planning meets reality. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine world. And first, I have to say thank you for Dan Scott for filling in for me last week. Um, you know, as you could tell, the week before uh, I was sick, uh, COVID got me in this. Yeah, so COVID still is a real thing. There's some still problems out there with it, so please you know, uh, take precautions and, and not get this because I'm telling you, man, I, I, I've been down for, oh, about a month for with this thing. So it's, uh, it's been crazy. My name is Todd DeVoe. I'm the host of Business Continuity Today. And I'm also, <coughs> still got the cough. I'm also the Director of Emergency Management at Titan HST. And I teach at the post-secondary level. And I love learning new things and sharing with you uh, what I've learned. And today, we're going to talk about complex problem solving and is it possibly, you know, what are complex problems and how do we solve them? So let's talk about problems. So I'd like this quote, I'm going to read this directly from you and it's from um, Albert Einstein. And he said, if I were given an hour to save the planet, I would spend 59 minutes defining what the problem is and then one minute resolving it. So if you think about that for a little bit, Sometimes we go into a situation where we know that there are issues or problems, but we really don't define that problem well enough before we start trying to solve it. And I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, right? You know, um, and my daughter comes to me with a problem or whatever it is, I start trying to solve it. And she's like, no, no, no. Listen, dad, this is my problem. She's nine. You know, so her problems are, are not very complex necessarily. But the same principle um, applies. So what is the problem definition process? So you need to establish um, what is that basic need? What are you trying to, to fix, right? Now, when it comes to business continuity um, or emergency management, uh, sometimes the problem that we're trying to fix is a, a simple of, of how do we keep business running uh, during a crisis such as COVID, right? Um, or during the supply chain issues like we've talked about in the past, right? But however, 
is necessarily the supply chain, the problem that we're trying to solve. I talk to my students a lot about climate change, right? And yes, you know, can we argue is climate change made by humans or is it cyclical or whatever, right? There's all those political arguments that go along with it. And I tell them all the time, I said, that is not our problem to solve as emergency management, as business continuity issues. That is not our problem to solve. Our problem to solve when it comes to the change in climate, which I do be empirically is happening. How do we, what do we have to take a look at? And in the case of emergency management, we're looking at the intensity of storms, um, the raising sea level, like in Miami, for instance, uh, where they're dealing with flooding or in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, where they're dealing with uh, more tidal surges. <coughs> Excuse me. Those are the problems that we're looking to solve for. We're not looking to solve the complex problem of climate change necessarily of what we do. We're looking at solving the problems that are affecting or the effects from those that are affecting our daily business and our daily operations. And it's really have to really take a look at is like defining what that problem is and how do we fix it? Because if you're taking a look at this large, complex hairball problem, right? It can be overwhelming and we're not going to necessarily find the answers, right? But if you could bring that problem down into the areas that are impacting you and solving for that problem at that time, right? It becomes much more manageable, right? And one of the things I spoke about before is the idea of simplifying that complex problem, right? And that is, again, defining what that problem is, right? Simplifying the complexity of it and to be able to find the answers. Some, because the first and quickest answer isn't always the best answer, right? Um, and and even though we could go incremental changes and having some sort of direction that we're going, is that the right thing to do? Going back to Einstein's theory, Einstein's, theory, Einstein's um, statement, right, is saying taking the 59 minutes of that one hour to define what the problem is and taking that one minute to resolving it, I think that's critical if we take a look at it in that concept, right? And then if we could take the time, slow it down, right? Now there's some fast moving disasters, right? We're not talking about, you know, if there's a fire happening that you have to evacuate. That's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing, let's go back to climate change as the issue, right? <laughs> break that down um, into, from the complexity that it is and break it down into and make it simplified and then solve for those simple problems, right? So step one is establishing that need uh, for a solution. Do you need to find a solution? So now when it comes to business continuity, right, um, do you need to have a solution? Is it as simple as saying, hey, you know, um, it doesn't really impact us. We go on as, as uh, business as usual. Um, or is it something that does impact you where, say, um, for instance, like, you know, is, is it, what's the cost of air conditioning, if you will, uh, to keep areas cool. Now I say this in, in not saying that just turning an air conditioner on is a solution, but in cases um, where you have extreme heat, like we had over in England uh, just recently or Europe for, for that matter, um, there was the solution of turning the air conditioner on 
uh, for many people wasn't a solution because they don't have it, right? So that's why I, I bring that up. So what is that basic need, right? Um, then the second portion of it is what is the desired outcome? What are you trying to look at at the end? Um, have If you know what your desired outcome is, it's easier to build that roadmap to it. And that's part of the decision-making process and, and really simplifying that, um, that uh, question. The other part of it is who stands to benefit and why? Because there's always going to be um, beneficiaries such as customers, right? If now we go back to the air conditioning, if you have if you have them all, for instance, if you're running them all and you're able to air condition them all, customers are going to benefit from that, right? So that means that people will go back to England if they could leave their home, which is stifling hot, and go someplace where it's nice and cool <clears throat> and participate in your business over there, right? Uh, the customers are going to benefit from that, which in turn benefits you, right? Justify the need. Is there an expense associated with that? Absolutely, right? There's going to be an expense associated with turning that air conditioner on, turning it up higher, right? However, is it aligned with your strategy, right? So that's the other side of it. So justify those needs. Is the effort aligned with your strategy? And are those desired benefits for the company? And, and how do you measure them? So you should have everything that you do uh, needs to be measurable. Um, as my friend Brian says all the time, um, any decision that you make should have a measurable aspect to it, specifically when it's coming into what we're doing here, right? And then how are you ensure that solution is implemented? That's the other side of it too, is making that solution, making it bite-sized, and how is it implemented? As Craig Fugate says, uh, the lesson learned, right, uh, if not implemented, is just a lesson observed, right? So how do you go from observing to implementation, right? And then the third part of it is conceptualize the problem, okay? So, or contextualize the problem, I should say, right? As this estimating that past efforts, like what, what solutions have been used before, right? Can you use those solutions again? Um, are you reinventing the wheel? What if, so what approaches have you tried and would have worked? Um, what have other people have tried to on the same issue? What has worked? What has failed? And those are those lessons learned that we talked about. And then the fourth part about it is write it down, right? Write that problem statement down. What exactly um, is your problem? Um, what's your solution? What is your outcome? Write these down on a piece of paper on a board and work through it through your team. Again, if it's a team of one, you know, you've got to work through it on yourself on that one. And then uh, what are the requirements that you need to do to meet that solution, right? And then which problem solvers should we engage? Who do you bring into that conversation, right? That's part of your problem solving um, process. And then um, the other part of it is, is who are the winners and losers? And what I mean by that is um, not necessarily individuals or companies, but your solutions, your your answers to right. So you can you take a look at them. What um, problem solving solutions are the winners? Which ones are losers? Put them in the categories, and then it helps you make a decision on which way you're going. This doesn't have to be uh, a six day process, right? You can do this uh, fairly quickly once you get it down into a system. So create that system of this, of decision making and problem solving. Um, and use that and practice that on simple problems too, right? Uh, you know, a simple thing of like, you know, practice that on where are you going to go for lunch um, as a problem and, and practice going through those steps. That way when it becomes an actual hairball, crazy, complex problem, 
right? You go back into your system and practice makes perfect. And like before, lessons learned and not implemented are just lessons observed. Let's, let's do that as well <coughs> with our complex problem and our complex problem solving practices. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And please visit Titan HST for all your communications needs because while we're here to help solve some of those complex problems of communication and alerting your, uh, your organization. Until next time, please stay safe and stay hydrated. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Hello and welcome to the Success Showcase. I'm your host, Eric Lopkin from the Modern Observer Group. And with me as always is Chip Janiszewski from the Happiness and Success GPS. Chip, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How about you, Eric? I'm doing fantastic. And it's hard to believe it's August already and we're heading into the end of summer. Yeah, fortunately for me, I'm heading to the beach this weekend for a week. So that, that's that's a good place to be heading in August. So. Yes, it is. But so, and of course, you know, the dog days of summer as things heat up, it's a great time to sort of take it easy, scale back, and think about what you're doing automatically and what habits you've got going. So, that's what we're going to talk about today how you can build positive habits and break negative ones. Yeah, now is a really good time to start playing that because a lot of people are, you know, they're in coast mode during the summer having a good time or whatever, but September is only a month away now, and that's kind of like back to school, back to business and that kind of thing. So I think timing-wise, this is a perfect thing to talk about. Yeah, and it's so important because so much of what we do, we do by habit, both good and bad. And there's a fantastic book that I read earlier this year called Atomic Habits. And one of the things that they talk about is building habits on top of existing habits. And it makes it that much easier to add good habits into your life. And something that they talk about with building habits is now, if you've got yourself a morning routine, and we've talked a lot about morning routines, use that to build on a new habit. So let's say, for example, you've got a morning routine, you get up, you drink a glass of water, you stretch. Well, that's a great place to add a little exercise if you're not already doing it. 
And one of one of the other things they talk about is the two minute rule. Habits take time to build. So don't just jump in. Take two minutes. If you can do something for two minutes one day, that's the start of a habit. And then just build on it. Don't you know push yourself to go, oh, I've got to work out for two hours every day. I've got to read for an hour and a half every day. It's like when you put that kind of pressure on yourself, you're almost asking for the habit to to fall apart. Yeah, one of the best things you can do is start small, chunk things down. It's really, really important to do that. I know you've heard me talk about Lao Tzu, the philosopher from way, way, way back when, whose three things to learn in life is number one is simplicity. In other words, don't try and do everything at once, one thing at a time. Patience, be patient with yourself as things are going on. You know that you're going to mess up from time to time, but just understand that. And then the compassion side of things. Take it easy on yourself. Don't take it so hard. Don't go looking in the mirror and looking at all the negatives all the time. Obviously, if you want to develop good habits, as you said, what you need to do is you need to start with the good ones that you already have because routine-wise, it's the same thing. So um, you talked about doing a morning routine and expanding it from uh, a little bit to a little bit more, and that's a great way to do it. And the bottom line is when you're trying to start another, a new habit, look at the steps that you're doing, just step-by-step step and uh, – What's really, really important, uh, I have these tips as I always get to prepare for this, but the last one is reward yourself for making progress at set time intervals. So pat yourself on the back if you've done it for a couple of days. I mean, obviously, it's uh, general knowledge or supposed theory that it takes 21 days to build a new habit, um, but some are going to take longer, some might take shorter, but it's really, really important to just celebrate what you're doing instead of thinking about, I didn't do it. And that's so true. So many of us go, oh, you know, I didn't do it today. Well, you know, that's it. And then there's actually uh, a parody satire uh, website called the Babylon Bee, and they post fake headlines all the time. And the other day they posted a headline, uh, men, men on diet has cheat day. For 23 days. <laughs> and, it, you know, we've all done that. And it's like, yeah, avoiding the diet turns into the habit. Well, no, you know, just take it one day at a time. It's like you can't go, oh, well, you know, I didn't do it yesterday. So what's the point of doing it today? That way you'll never get started. You have to do it step by step taking it easy small steps and yes as you said reward yourself along the way yeah and understand you're going to mess up from time to time so these um seven steps that i have for breaking a bad habit uh, step number one is to set a goal what habit you want to break number two this is really important decide on a replacement behavior if you're going to get rid of a new a habit uh find another one that you're going to do Number three, and yeah. this one's huge. Well, hang, hang on. Before you go on to number three, number number two is big. Because stopping a bad habit without replacing it 
you end up focusing on the bad habit rather than the replacement. And the more you focus on the bad habit, the harder it is to break. And the perfect example is when somebody's trying to quit smoking. Most of the time, they're told to replace it with something, chew a piece of gum, uh, nicotine patch for, you know, in medical situations to replace the nicotine. There's always a replacement habit. And that is so important because when you have a positive habit that you're replacing a negative habit with, that becomes your focus. And you think more about doing the replacement than doing the bad habit. And that helps break it that much you know, easier, but it also helps you build that replacement habit correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the first step is to set the goal. And that's also step one in building a new habit. And basically, it's it's what you are defined to do that makes up turns your negative into a positive. It's replacing that with something new. Um, number three, really, really important. When you have a bad habit, there are some things that trigger you for that. Okay. It could be watching TV. It could be this and that, whatever. What is the reason for your bad habit or what? gets you into it on a day-to-day -day basis. If you can sit down and do a little bit of a self-analysis to identify, you know, where the where the behavior happens, what time of day, how you feel when it happens, are there other people involved and so on and so forth. Those are ways to identify things that you can replace with something new to help quell the habit happening continuing on. So Absolutely. And those triggers are just as important when creating a new habit. And as we said, if you're trying to replace a habit, you can use that same trigger. You know, for example, if, you know, you're sitting, you sit down to TV to watch something on TV and it triggers you to unconsciously start snacking. Well, move the snack somewhere else so that when you go to that place, you know, they're not automatically there, but try to use that trigger. Put a set of dumbbells next to the TV so that instead of reaching for a snack, you're getting some exercise. Um, and that's just an example, but use those triggers. They're very important. Yeah. I mean, if you're staying up too late at night and only sleeping a few hours at night, why are you staying up till midnight every night? Midnight every night? You might see that you're watching TV until midnight every night. Uh, one of the recommendations here is why not try turning off the TV and your phone at nine o'clock every night and see what happens when you do that. That automatically is going to make you do something else or want to go to bed early or do something to replace it, like read something that will relax you and make you more tired to go to, to bed. So, I mean, these are different things that you can, once you find out why you're doing it or when you're doing it, you can think of things to replace that. Absolutely. So. And, you know, if you need a little extra help to break things, there are tools and gadgets that you can use. For example, if you're staying up till midnight watching TV, you can actually, some smart TVs have this built in. Uh, otherwise, you can actually buy these plugs that you plug the TV in, you plug that into the wall, and it allows you to set a timer so that at nine o'clock, whether you're watching or not, the TV goes off. And you can use these things to go, oh, okay, that's it. It's time to you know stop watching TV. Let's move on to do something else. Let's read, 
go to sleep earlier, work at whatever it is that you want to do. Same thing if you're getting caught up at work. You can set timers on your computer to go, okay, it's time to step away from the computer, time to do something else. Yeah, um, the next one, it leads perfectly right into this because the next one says post reminders to yourselves. This could be things stuck on your refrigerator and this or that or whatever. But what you are talking about is implement reminders to stop yourself. Yes. <laughs> as far as the, the television and this and that, whatever. But if you have your reminders, the bottom line is if you get up first thing in the morning and you're not used to grabbing a glass of water and stretching and doing this and that, whatever, it's going to take a while for you to do that. Again, 21 days of practicing the same thing, and you probably have a good habit going on. But if you forget and you have a reminder on your mirror, that's the best place to put it. The first thing you do when you get up in the morning is probably go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and brush your teeth and stuff like that. Have a couple reminders there. Have a couple reminders on the refrigerator as far as snacks and this, this and that goes. Um, there are a lot of things to help you out because, you know, our brain holds a lot of data, but you can't access it all the way. And priority today might not be priority tomorrow. So the more visual you have, especially when you get to be my age, the better off you're going to be. So, yeah. And you can place things strategically for those reminders. If you know there's something you need to bring to work, put it in front of the front door so that, you know, when you're, when you're about to leave, there it is. Uh, you mentioned drinking water first thing in the morning. You can take an insulated bottle, fill it up the night before, have it right next to your alarm clock. The alarm clock goes off, you shut the alarm, there's the water. Make it easy on you. Put these things where you're going to see them immediately. Yeah, you can have your sneakers in your workout outfit right next to the bed. So if you want to take a walk or go downstairs and work out, you got to step over that to not do it. Right. So um, the next one is a really, really good one. Get help and support from someone. Get an accountability partner. Maybe you're both going to try and accomplish something. And obviously, you can help each other celebrate things. And it's a whole lot easier to celebrate somebody else than to look in the mirror and celebrate yourself. Some people have a hard time doing that, even though they know that it's coming from their heart rather than from their head. So obviously getting help and support from someone else is a great way to break and start a new habit. Absolutely. And you know, not necessarily just help and support, depending on what your goal is, make it a challenge, compete with somebody. That you know gets the juices flowing. I've done that, you know, not too long ago. My wife was trying to lose weight. I've already lost a lot of weight. She started doing the same things I was doing. We got involved in uh, the chamber step challenge, which Chip was you know also involved in. At just the competition got us moving. Yeah, and you guys came in number one and number two, and. Mindy won, not you. Yes, my wife beat me. Yes. <laughs> Which is really, really cool. And, and not not only did that make her very proud, made me very proud of her. So, you know, the competition, doing it in a team, these these are things that help you build those habits. And the fact of the matter is that Chamber Challenge has been over for a, year, for a month and 
I still find myself automatically doing things to get steps in. Yeah. Because after three months, it became a habit. Yep. I mean, I've always liked walking too. And I, uh, you know, I, I did the challenge too. I didn't do as well as you did, but I did come in the top 10, which is not bad for 68. But uh, I averaged well over 20,000 steps a day. And I'm making sure right now it's really not too hard to average at least 10. You know? It yeah. Probably takes, if you want to just do a walk, it'll take you an hour, but you're going to be doing all kinds of other stuff. So if you just get that in, it's just a great way to stay healthy. And again, once you start doing it, um, and keep it going. I did the same thing last year. I still did fine, but I found myself not walking every day after it stopped. And this year I've made it a point to uh, make sure that I continue to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've talked about this book called the complaint free world a lot when I do my presentations and what the book is all about. It's written by pastor Will Bowen out of Kansas city. And obviously one of the bad habits that we have is complaining. And when I do my presentations, as far as positive mindset development, I talk about tools for developing it, maintaining an attitude of gratitude practice. And then number three is the throwouts. And this is one of them. And I always talk about this book because in the book, um, he says, what would happen if the world stopped complaining? Obviously it would be great, but he talks about this four step challenge, which you can use for any bad habit to make it, to turn it into a good habit. And the four stages of this is, Say you're, say you're going to take this 21-day challenge and you're not going to complain for 21 days because that's what this is all about. It's a 21-day challenge. You have a purple wristband and every time you complain, you have to switch wrists. And what you have to do is you have to keep that band on the same wrist for 21 days straight. Not just 21 days randomly, but 21 days straight. So somebody could walk up to me and say, okay, Chip, I'm going to take the habit and I'm going to kick it. And they put the wristband on and within five minutes, they've complained about somebody or they've gossiped their so on and so forth. And they started switching wrists and they had said, wow, you know, this is unconscious incompetence. All right. Step two, after switching that a couple of times in the first five minutes, you are now consciously incompetent. You are conscious of the fact that you may have a bad habit of complaining. And once you do that, then you get a little bit down to business. And the one that I have the most fun talking about, this is where the 21 day challenge comes in is not complaining for 21 days. That's, if you can do that, you've gone from unconscious competence, no, unconscious incompetence to conscious competence, which means that you now have a good habit going. And it's really, really tough to do that. And I say, this is where you're taking the challenge with people at work or with family. And you sit down for lunch one day and say, how's your morning going? And there's silence. There's nobody wants to talk about anything that's going on. And by the way, thoughts don't count because you could never do it that way. It's, it's just not going to happen. But if you are consciously working on that to bite your tongue, again, simplicity, patience, that's the patience part. And then the compassion, having compassion on yourself. That's so important. You've gone from unconscious incompetence to conscious competence by doing that. And then once you've done that for 21 days straight, where you haven't complained, you've gone from unconscious incompetence, unconscious competence where you've turned the habit of complaining into the habit of biting your tongue and not complaining. And that's the way it works for all the different habits. So this is if you put up the reminders as far as the exercise goes as for this or for that or whatever, this really is a four-step process to work, you know, for everything. So I highly recommend getting the book again. It's called The Complaint-Free World by Will Bowen because 
If you can conquer that one, you're going to be able to turn a whole lot of bad habits into good habits. Yeah, and I mean, that's a fantastic technique for really getting rid of bad habits. And you can do it not just with complaining. The technique works with any bad habit. You know, if you find yourself reaching for a snack, obviously you're not going to go 21 days without eating. But if you go 21 days without eating between meals, you know, you can, you know, move that the bracelet from one arm to the other and you know keep it on for 21 days. Same thing to quit smoking. You can all, you know, it works for any bad habit. And that's really what we're talking about is taking control of those habits. Yeah. And, I, and, and I love the, the term unconscious competence. Yeah. Yep. The bottom line is, you know, people, and this is since mankind started walking the earth, you know, you look at all the different things that we read about, they're all, all over social media and so on and so forth. And that's because people always have been out of control, letting the outside world control them. And these days where it's just so easy to do so, joining the crowd and just chiming right in with all negativity. And there's not enough of that stuff going on for positivity out there. And uh, it would be great if there was just a Facebook or this or that, whatever, where only positive stuff was allowed. Because the bottom line is, and you folks out there know this, if you run into somebody who's doing something positive or talking something positive, that is more contagious than any negative virus out there. And you can really, really get the room going with good vibes in a hurry just by being positive, which basically, if you're positive as a habit, which you can turn that into that positive mindset, that's, that's how it works. But if you just analyze things for what they really, really are, you can put this to work in amazing ways. You're not going to change the world, but you could change every single moment a reaction or interaction that you have people. And when you walk in the room and you have that reputation for lighting up the room when walking in rather than when you walk out, that is going to change things a whole lot. And that, you know, it, it makes a whole bunch of difference. And the easiest way, if you want to start a great habit, wake up every morning and the first thing, just go to the mirror and smile at yourself because the coolest person in the world is smiling back and make a habit of smiling all the time in all your interactions every day. We just talked about the walking challenge. Every time I'm walking down the street or anywhere, I don't care who's in the car, I can't even see them behind the windshield anyway, but I'm always waving to them. Whether they're waving back or not, sometimes I can't see, it really doesn't matter because for that moment, they're not thinking negativity. They're thinking about that guy's waving at me and that's the way that it works. Absolutely. When you're replacing bad habits with good habits, you're spreading positivity. And there are a lot of benefits to this other than just getting rid of a bad habit. Because when you get rid of these bad habits, your whole well-being improves, your health, your success, your outlook. You know, there's an old saying, you know, some people have stress and some people give stress. You don't want to be somebody who's giving stress. And when you spread that positivity, breaking those bad habits, replacing them with good ones, it starts happening automatically. Yeah. And that's the way, what it is, too. I mean, a habit is not talking. A habit is just being. And that's being who you are and what you are. It has nothing to do with preaching, because if you start doing that, actually preaching is a bad habit. Period. Absolutely.
You're not here to convert people by your words. You want them to see how you're doing by example. Doesn't matter if anybody else picks up on it. You know what you're doing. It may, It's going to make you feel good. That's going to make you more positive, and that's going to attract more positivity. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, it's, it's all about influence. And influence is the most important thing. And Albert Schweitzer said an influence, your example is not the only thing. Not not the not the best not not the best thing the most important thing but it is the only thing it's leading by example so I kind of jarbled that but yeah an influence example is not the main thing it is the only thing look that up post that and that's that's what it's all about right. and you know as we've said you're not expected to be able to change a habit overnight. Um, the example with the wristband, you know, it takes 21 days to replace a habit. Give yourself the time. Don't put the pressure on yourself. Take it little by little. We've talked about creating processes. And what a habit really is, is an unconscious process. You're creating the process at the beginning of what you want to do. It becomes a habit when you no longer have to think about it. And that's what good habits do. They keep you doing good processes without even think about it. It's automatic. Bad habits work the same way, but those bring you down. So if you can replace those with good habits, you're going to benefit. Yep. So go out there and Set those goals, those things that you want to change and come up with a plan to do that and just work on it. So it's uh, it's easier said than done, but that's the recipe. It is easier said than done. And that's something also you need to remember. You need to have a goal for this. You're not simply breaking a bad habit for the sake of breaking a bad habit that's not going to motivate you to do it. You have to have that goal, that reason. Uh, again, I always use weight loss as an example because it's something everybody you know, understands and can identify with. But why are you losing weight? Well, you're not losing weight just for the sake of losing weight. You want to be healthier. You want to, you know, you don't want to die so soon. You know, you want to have the strength to walk up a you know, flight of stairs. You want to be able to see your daughter's wedding. Um, it's things like that. You have to see what that goal is, why you're doing it. There has to be something that motivates you. So find that motivation. And in many cases, I'll be honest with you, fear is a very good motivator. I lost almost 70 pounds. Now, I didn't expect to be able to lose that much weight, didn't, didn't start out trying to lose that much weight. I was looking for 10 to 15. But the reason I started was because my doctor told me that there was a possibility I was pre-diabetic, and if I didn't start taking better care of myself, I would develop diabetes. Now, just the thought of having to give myself a shot every day went, nope, there's got to be an easier way. Let's start by losing the weight. Yeah, you know, it's... Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, basically like everything else, you know, when we talk about personal development, you got to find your purpose, passion, and your why. So yes. you, you got to find that why for developing the new habit. That's it. And that why is so important. And it has to be something that speaks to you. What somebody else's why is might, you know, might not be motivating for you. You have to figure out what motivates you and use that to say, okay, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to accomplish. What am I doing that's holding me back? And then those are the habits you need to break. And if that goal is strong enough, if that motivation is strong enough, it makes changing the habit that much easier. So we are just about at the end of our time. So Chip, what do you think is the big takeaway for this week? Well, a lot of times we talk about it. A lot of times what this podcast is just all about is making you aware of different things out there. Awareness starts with the awareness of the habit that you have that you want to change, but you also have to be aware that at any point in time, you can start on the road to changing it. Now, those are the tools that we gave you today. Um, so the, again, the first step is defining your goal, taking a look at your triggers as far as why this thing is happening, set up a plan for what you're going to do, have those reminders all over the place, and most importantly, just do something every single day to make it happen and celebrate that one thing that you're doing one more day of not doing the bad habit and so on and so forth, instead of trying to conquer 25 things at once and getting down on yourself for not doing so. So one step at a time and enjoy the ride. Absolutely. It is so important that you not get down on yourself. These things take time. And yes, it is easier to break a habit or create a new habit when you've got help when you've got tools. So Chip, remind our listeners about the book you mentioned. Again, it's called A Complaint-Free World by Will Bowen. I think if you go to acomplaintfreeworld.org, that's where it is, where you can order the book and you can order those bracelets if you want to take the challenge with other people there. Again, I read this a long time ago, so I hope it's still there. And I had mentioned the book Atomic Habits, and the full title of that is Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. It's written by James Clear, and it is a number one Amazon bestseller, so it's easy to find. I recommend it's on Audible if you prefer to listen to books. So I absolutely recommend getting this book, using its techniques to help you build those good habits and break the bad ones you've been listening to the success showcase you can catch us every week at xvadio.com slash podcasts the apple Podcasts app google Podcasts, spotify iHeartRadio, stitcher amazon music audible and wherever you find podcasts remember make this your best week ever and make next week even better we'll see you then When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details.
When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com slash Boost. Welcome to the Influential CEO Podcast, where we talk about all things high performance inner work and mindset, because we must be able to lead ourselves in order to lead a revolution and experience the freedom we desire. Welcome to another episode of the Influential CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Rasky. So first, we're going to start opening today's uh, interview with our Influential Insider Moment. Before I even introduce today's guest, I would love for you to share in the comments what your most favorite recent episode has been, because we've been putting out so many phenomenal episodes with so many amazing guests. And I'd love to know which ones have resonated with you recently. So of course, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform and be sure to download the Influential app on your favorite device. So joining me today as uh, we sort of pre-chatted about, I was like, I think I should call you the cookie baron at this point with all the amazing things that he's doing in the world. But there's so much more than just cookies in the world of Bennett Maxwell. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Stacey. <laughs> You're welcome. So before we get into all the good stuff, I would love for you to share what the influential leadership or the concept of influential leadership, what that means to you. Influential. I love, I love, I love the word, by the way, but, it, but, it's, but it's a challenge for me. Um, so I, I mean, I'm, it, the, the flow with the influential, um, I've always had, I started, I, I did sales and then you go from sales to being a sales manager. And then I quickly realized I was not good at managing and it was a different, different skill. Since then, I've also realized that managing and leadership is is different because I still consider myself a pretty poor manager, but I think I've definitely been upping my leadership game. Um, so the the influential, what I've done in my in, in my company is really been able to step out um, of that day to day role because I, I realizing that I'm I'm not good at it, and then replacing myself with somebody who is, and and, and in my case. It's Jill, and I hired her as a CEO in December. The month we started franchising, I brought on a CEO who's took her own brand um, from zero to like 700, just under 700 locations and ran it for over three decades. So <laughs> I guess to, to me, it's, it's being influential, um, but recognizing what you're good at and what you're not and stepping out of the way to allow other people who are better at in this case, doing a, a franchise and cookie company, um, and and really letting them lead, and and me chatting with them on the, I guess on the on the, on the back end process. Right. Absolutely. I love that. That's so 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 smart. And that really is right. Understanding, like, hey, the best way that I can lead 
is by bringing in the people who do what we don't and yeah. empowering them and appropriately delegating and then really being influential is saying, hey, how can I support you to do your magic and genius yep. to support this vision we're all working towards? So super, super, super amazing. So good. So I would love, before we get into talking more about cookies and solar and all kinds of stuff, I would love for you to share about first, um, just who you are, what you do, all the kind of magic you're bringing into the world and who you serve. And then of course we get into the backstory. Okay. So I run a, a cookie franchise. Um, it's fairly new. We started franchising in December of last year. So we're seven months into it, eight months into it. And we're at 90 stores that we are, are opening soon. So the first one just opened. We have another four over the next few weeks. My background before that was sales, door-to-door -door and pest control and satellite and alarms and security and things like that. I'm from Utah, grew up here, have an amazing wife and, and, and three kids, five, three, and one that are in Mexico right now without me. I dropped them off at the airport yesterday, but they are, a lot, a lot of what I'm doing with Dirty Dough is based on really my two daughters and, and the mental health challenges that statistically they are going to face. Um, so anyways, that's, that, I, I'm a very big believer in, in adding value as much as value as you can, building a company without worrying so much about, you know, how much money I'm taking home today, but instead, making a difference in the world and focusing on enterprise value. Um, so that way you can have, you know, a, a larger impact and then you get paid when you sell, if you do it correctly, if you build a, a very uh, good company that adds a lot of value to a lot of people. Mm, I love that. I love that. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head on so many things because it's really about impact and passion and purpose. You know, when mm. our drivers are coming from this, um, you know, soulful, purpose-driven place, it's so much easier for us to become successful because we have this calling that's so much bigger than just ourselves, which makes it way easier to work through all the BS and the sabotage yeah. and the stories that tend to come up and get in the way along the way, you know, speaking of mental health. And I absolutely loved my time in Utah. I used to live in Utah myself and I absolutely loved it. I worked in Orem. I lived in West Valley and just I, the entire, and my mom was actually down in Hurricane. So all over so, the state. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved it out there. So much to do. So let's talk about the backstory. What inspired all of this? Because you started to allude to, right, your kids and mental health and, you know, kind of what has been the fuel for all of this success and impact. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll give the backstory of Dirty Dough and then why I tied it into the, the nonprofit and the mental health push. So- mm -hmm. Just over three years ago, I was looking um, at buying a franchise and I was doing summer sales, which is big here in Utah. So you go out and you knock doors and you sell for four to five months and I'd make multiple six figures in the four to five months. And I wanted to buy a franchise, uh, a cookie franchise to add on to that income. Uh, but the cookie franchise was, that I was looking at was Crumble Cookies, which is an amazing franchise, but they were already sold out in the state of Utah and they require you to be owner-operated, meaning I would have to move out of the state of Utah 
and give up my other career to run a cookie business full-time, which just didn't align with my investment strategy. Um, I, again, I didn't want to give up my other income. I was looking to add to it. So, but it got me interested in cookies and it got me interested in the potential there. Uh, and it's, and it was fun. You know, I like, I like cookies. My kids like cookies. So what we did was, uh, anyways, it got me interested. Then I went and did solar in 2019 for the first time. Love that. Ended up starting, teaming up with my brother and we started a solar company a few months later. So that was January of 2020. Um, and somebody else from Orem, speaking of Orem, so that's where I grew up. Or I went to Mountain View High School and somebody that I went to high school with posted and said, I have a cookie business. I do delivery only. And I'm looking for an investor to open up a retail storefront. So I gave him some money. He opened up the retail storefront. And then I wanted him to franchise it to me um, living in San Diego. And instead of franchising, he said, you know what? I'm actually thinking about selling the company. And I'm like, I've never even worked in food before, (laughs) you know, but I just listened to a podcast that was talking about to create, you know, go, go from being rich to wealthy, creating generational wealth. It's real estate, which I already had maybe a handful of properties at the time and businesses investing in real estate and businesses. I was like, I have a solar business, but I've never bought a business. Let's give it a go. So, and then I also kind of had in the mind, if I'm able to buy this business as a business, you know, I'm, I'm running solar company in San Diego. This is a, a food company out of Tempe, Arizona, because that's where it was started. Um, if I can make this work, then there's a lot of other people like me that are capable of, you know, and looking for something similar. So I just have to make it really simple really dummy proof or Bennett proof because I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't know what I was doing in that, but that's what got me into cookies kind of fell into my lap. And I'm like, I was already willing to franchise a cookie company. I'm just going to buy it and create the best, most simplistic and scalable food franchise model. Um, and anyways, so that's what I've been working on. And to answer the second question with the mental health, uh, about that same time, maybe three years ago, I listened to a podcast at Jonathan Haidt talking about um, the correlation between uh, self-harm and social media. And at the time I had a two-year-old daughter and a newborn daughter. And statistically speaking, they're twice as likely to go to the hospital because of self-harm than they were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, crap, like, okay, then what? Right, what do you do, right? There was no solution to it. It was just, here's the problem. And then it's like, man, that got me thinking about it. And then here in Utah, I had a, a, a cousin, 12 years old, suicide attempt in sixth grade, elementary school. Same thing, huge scare. Like, wow, how, how do you prevent that? How do you help people do that, you know, prevent that? Um, and I heard an employee say, dirty dough means the dough is dirty. Um, we focus on the inside of the cookie. And I'm like, that's a really, that's really cool. So we, we started running with that. And we wanted to differentiate ourselves from the other cookie companies that focus on top of the cookie and making the cookie look perfect and pretty and put all this frosting on it where we're, it's a dirty cookie and we do more mix-ins and more fillings and multi-layer cookies because we know that the inside matters most. Life is imperfect and messy, but it's meant to be enjoyed just like these cookies are imperfect and messy. So it was fighting against that stigma of, I live a normal life, but I see Stacy's perfect Instagram life and then I feel bad about myself. It's like, no, that's not, you know, life is dirty and that's fine. It's totally fine that it's, that it's not perfect and it's messy. It's, you can still enjoy it. So that's kind of what got me uh, interested in that. And I'm like, okay, I could, I think I can make a difference here with this brand, with this messaging 
Um, and we can get into that a little bit more on what exactly we're doing a little bit later because I've been talking for too long now. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I absolutely love that. And that's so true, right? The difference between making things look perfect on the outside or mm. being in that energy of like, it doesn't, A, it doesn't have to be perfect on the outside. And what matters so much is what we're bringing internally. That is huge yeah. and so powerful. So, so, so powerful. And it's interesting that you bring up the self-harm piece because, you know, in all of the work that I do in optimizing leaders in being more in flow, influential, all of the things, being able to lead, delegate, take back their time, take control of themselves, right? It is all of this self-mastery and self-leadership. And it's interesting to see all of the, the generations and upon generations of unhealthy coping and now with social media and things like that, everything's amplified. So yep. um, seeing the difference too, but when we have unhealthy coping and a lot of that comes with boundaries and esteem, two things I had none of growing up and seeing how the predominantly males tend to express that outwardly even mm -hmm. though I know men who, who, and boys who have self-harmed, um, but it's more of a self-destructive as opposed to self-harm, you know, is it like reckless behavior and, and yep. things like that, um, where for myself and a lot of the women or predominantly with women will tend to go inward with it. Hence the yep. internal self-destruction of so it was a lot of um, binge eating, binge drinking, you know, those types of self-harm all the way to physical self-harm yep. and other types of self-punishment. And it's really interesting, the subtleties, especially around high achievers, high performers, that mm. there's so many socially acceptable ways in which we actually self-punish and self-harm and people don't even realize and so, you know, it's a lot of what I talk about around being high functioning as opposed to actually being a high performer, our unhealthy coping with all of this old wounds and trauma ends up expressing in a way that creates a positive ROI because we funnel that into control issues and hustle and workaholism and things yep. like that. So we're actually creating a lot of success in the world externally. So we look amazing. And, but then we see so many of these, especially like obviously famous people, you know, yeah. Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and Chris Cornell, who again, right, it looks perfect. And then obviously we get to the place where they end up committing suicide. Yeah. Yeah. There's, being in, in a sales background and taking on professional sales, it's all about diving in and to the, to a concern, right? It's like, well, cost too much. Well, what costs too much? You know, is it, is it the upfront payment or the, the, the monthly payments or like, what do you, you know, but like really diving into the true um, issue there. And I don't think we, we typically do that in our own lives, right? It's like, 
well, I'm going to sacrifice relationships to work more because if I work more, I'm going to have more money and I'm then going to, and I want more money to have more free time so I can travel. It's like, well, but why do you want to travel? Well, I want to be with my family. I want to bring them. Well, why do you want to be with your family? Usually it comes down to it's going to make me happy. And it's like, well, I don't know. I, I visited a few dozen countries and I've seen people that aren't doing that, that are happy. So do you, do you need all that? <laughs> you know, like, are you going to go down a 40 year path trying to get all these things so you can spend time with your family, so you can travel, so you can be happy? Or can you just be happy by focusing on your mental health, your mindset, um, your attitude and all that? So, so that's really what I'm pushing for because I've been going through that myself over the last year. I sold my solar company last year. And I felt great. And I'm usually a happy, positive person, but I was even happier um, at that time. But two weeks later, I'm working on a Saturday and I'm like, I could be at the beach with my family. What am I doing? You know, so I started self-reflecting and anyways, and then that, that helped a ton with, with what I'm trying to do with Dirty Dough. And it's, it's not about making more money because I've made some money, um, but it's how am I going to be happy and how am I going to feel fulfilled? And that's giving back and making a positive impact. Absolutely. Every single time. I mean, literally, it was one thing that we realized over time. Um, just all of the people in, even in my ecosystem, you know, in my influential leadership mastermind, all my clients, all my team, everybody, nobody's money driven. Like, that's great. Obviously, we want to earn more money, but that's mm. not the driver. And so yeah. I've noticed there's this huge difference in the quality of the people. Not that there's anything wrong with being money-driven. There's like no judgment there whatsoever. I notice a different type of fire burning for the people who it's about the impact. It's about yeah. the freedom. It's about the fulfillment where they, the ROI is, am I really living my life to the fullest mm -hmm. and also creating that legacy of impact along the way? Yeah, and it's interesting. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I, I would argue that the, the money-driven people are after the same thing. They just think that money is going to get them there, but exactly. we're all after that same thing. And it, so like, how I define it, it's joy and fulfillment. Like that's my, my mission statement is to find joy and fulfillment in myself and help as many other people as possible do the same. So like that, that's what I'm after. It has nothing to do with money. Now, can money amplify that and spread the cause? Yeah, that's why I'm in cookies because cookies are profitable. It's going to allow us to have a bigger impact and it's fun, right? But that's, that's not why we're doing it. I think the people who are still money focused, it's because they, they haven't asked the, well, why do I want money? Yeah. Well, why do I want that? Well, why do I want what money's going to give me? It gives you know, and they they don't go through the full circle. And they're like, wait a second, I could, I could just have that now. I can have, I can make an impact now, right? I don't need to wait and uh, sacrifice relationships to have all that. Exactly. Well, and and what it is is it's just flipping the be do have model of success from. Mm -hmm the old paradigm where most of us are programmed that we've got to have the money to do yep. the things to be happy. No, exactly and, that. And, yeah. And so they're functioning from that way of, of living. Mm -hmm. And when we flip the script around to, okay, I can, I am going to be the, the, the person and leader I'm called to be which mm -hmm. allows me to know what I need to do 
to have the impact of the money and the fulfillment I desire. And yep. it's like, oh, be it, then do it, then have it. And everything completely shifts. And it really is the, the biggest piece I've noticed though, is how many people actually block themselves from receiving that mm. joy and fulfillment. And, and I mean, for me, I like, I didn't know why I was doing it. I'm telling myself one thing and I'm doing something different. Um, so after I sold my company, I started seeing a therapist. I still see a therapist. And I am like a huge believer that everybody should see a therapist or typically it's like, well, if I have a mental illness, I'm going to go see a therapist. It's like, well, no, if, if, if life isn't perfect, which it's not for anybody, then you should go figure out your thoughts and your own psyche and why you do one thing when you say you believe in something else and like figure out your mind, right? Cause what determines your happiness and fulfillment and joy um, and drive? Well, it's, it's your mindset or your mental health, right? So let's focus on that. So I've been doing that for the last year and it's, I sought help rather than trying to figure it out all myself. And, and that is the wisest thing you can do because when we're down in it, we don't, you know, we don't have the perspective that we need to figure it all out on our own. Mm -hmm. And that's why therapists and coaches and mentors are so vital in completely elevating and shifting our mindset to match not only who we're called to be, but what we want to do and create in the world. Yeah. And that is so, so, so awesome. Right. I, I have gone back to therapy myself after my move. It was like, Oh wait, time to get back into the therapist. So I've got like a bazillion coaches and mentors and I still go to therapy because <laughs> it's yeah. like, they're all different. They work well together. And that's exactly it. We've got to understand how we function because at the end of the day, joy, freedom, and fulfillment is 1000% internal. It doesn't sure. matter what conditions are happening externally, but if you're in that way of, of a living and mm -hmm. leading, then that's what, that's what we have. And, it, and it's hard because like, for me, I had a, I was like a therapist, a therapist, I, I, would, I would never see a therapist, you know, like I, I grew up thinking anxiety, depression, even headaches. Not, could you not like, if you had a headache is because you had a weak mind. Like that's mm -hmm. what, that's what I grew up just completely ignorant. Right. <laughs> um, but especially as a man, it's like, nobody wants to admit that they see a therapist and it's like, but, but why? Like I, I said that on a podcast that I was on recently. He's like, I've never had somebody admit that they see ther a, a therapist on a podcast. I was like, well, that's, that's, that's probably a big issue then. Like, why, 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 why are people ashamed of that to say that they want to live a more fulfilled life, you know, and want to understand themselves. Cause like you said, I, I have a business coach. When I go to the gym, I have a trainer, but why wasn't I working on my mental health? Because what's more important, you know, my mentality and my mindset versus my business versus my physical health. Well, they're all very important, but if I want to be happy, it's, it's the mentality and the, and the mental health that is most important, at least in my opinion. But yeah, there's such a big stigma and then it's like, oh, and this, and you know, I don't, I don't want to go. And how do you find one? And I went through all of that. And then how do you pay for one? And it's like, I pay 10 bucks. It's like a hundred and something bucks. My insurance pays for it. I pay 10 bucks a time. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. So anyways, it's been great. I love it. That is awesome. And it is right. It's like, Oh, wait a minute. Why not 
get to know ourselves better because it is, it is 80% of our success is completely internal. We're not going to be consistent in showing up to take care of our bodies. You know, if we don't have our mindset and our relationship with ourselves in a good place, and we're definitely not going to show up to lead our businesses in the way that they're called or need us to be as the leader or delegator or, you know, whatever capacity of leadership that, that we're bringing to the table to navigate communicating with team members and um, managing our time and our energy and all of the resources that we need to be in control of, especially our emotions, because, you know, otherwise we're just constantly reacting and putting out fires and, you know, that's just not gonna, not gonna help. So All right, we are going to take a quick break and be sure to come back as we continue this powerful conversation. See you in a minute. Go deeper by grabbing your copy of my best-selling book, Be a Boss and Fire That Bitch, by going to firethatbitchbook.com. Welcome back to this powerful, powerful mental health and success conversation with the amazing cookie baron of dirty dough, Bennett Maxwell. I love how transparent you are about that. You know, the the fact that the conversations around mental health and self-care in that way are becoming more and more common, you know, that it's okay, you know, that's okay, it's removing the stigma, right? Because there was a lot of judgment and shame around asking for help. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's like we're expected to have it all figured out already. And it's especially, I think it's a little, it affects everybody. But as a man, I think it's a little bit more like, man up, right? Like, that's what I, that's what I learned when I was a kid, like, man up like you you don't need help you just need to figure it out or you're not a man so which is so stupid (laughs) you know like that that's just so dumb like what do you mean man up like why can't you get help everybody helps each other and everything like anyways so it's definitely a challenge um and in general it's just mental health is typically reactive you start seeing a therapist if you have anxiety or depression or a mental illness when it's like well, why not be proactive about it? How come nobody's doing that? If, if, if mental health is key to happiness, why are we waiting till we have an issue to seek help? So that's really what I'm trying to change is uh, just like we go to the gym every week or multiple times a week, we need to be working on our mental health, whether that's a therapist and or meditation or learning about happiness mindset and uh, breathing exercise. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do to, to figure that out that we just, we just don't do. It is interesting. I I see that all the time. It's how resistant people are to doing the inner work, to looking inside to solve whatever the problem is that they're experiencing. You know, as somebody who specializes in that high performance inner work, you know, or the 
mental unfuckery of, you know, generations of social and family programming, (laughs) you know, um, refining those skills. It is, it is interesting to see the, the, the dichotomy because there's some who are like, they get it. They're like, okay, every time I hit that roadblock, I recognize I'm playing out cycles and patterns. It's time to go back to doing that inner work not just chasing the strategies, the external strategies, you know, in their business or for their teams or things like that, because that's just patching the symptoms. That's the band-aid. But it's always every single one of those external challenges is a mirror reflection of something going on internally. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm always about go to the root. Quit patching symptoms and having the same problems and going through the same cycles over and over and over again. Go right to the root, heal, or heal, process, release, address, whatever it is, shift, mm-hmm. elevate skill sets and strategies for self-mastery, mindset mastery, self-leadership. And then there's this powerful cascade that happens of, oh my goodness, all of a sudden, all of your relationships are better. Your business yep. is better. Your um, all the problems you have with your team, for the most part, are ironing themselves out because we're communicating better. We're more emotionally available for the things that we desire. Yep, it's amazing, and and oh. I see so many of these leaders, and they're in massive struggle busts too, like completely maxed out on time mm-hmm. and energy. They're burning the candle at both ends juggling all the things, not fulfilled, not satisfied, working for quote unquote freedom. And yet they're a prisoner to their business and or life. Mm-hmm. And that's not a pain point enough still for them yeah. to say, oh, I can do something different. <laughs> and I see that a lot. And anyways, there's there's a book called The E-Myth. And that was a life-changing book for me. And because it, it, it tells you a harsh truth, or at least what I consider a truth. And same with the book. If you own a business that requires you to be there every day for it to make money and run, then you don't own a, you're not a business owner. You own your own job and it's not a great job. It's a shitty job because you work the longest hours and you get paid last. So, but most of us business owners, like it, it's so hard to let go of control because we could do it better ourselves. But kind of going back to the you know the start of the podcast, allowing ourselves to step aside, and yeah, maybe somebody does it fifty percent as good as you, but at least you can double your time now or triple your time, or you can hire somebody. If you hire the right people, you can hire people that are more effective than you, which I've definitely been lucky enough to do. So I def- definitely see that with people getting trapped in their own jobs because they don't want to uh, expand. So if anybody's there, which I think is most people read that book, that's what allowed me to do my, uh, <clears throat> I started my solar company, tried out solar for a few months, liked it, started a company. And then 18 months later, was able to, to sell it because I did the e-myth strategy. And you can even watch a YouTube video, you know, 10 minutes, get the gist of it and start implementing that. And I've been doing the same thing with dirty dough and it's also helped a ton. Um, we just raised money at a 50 X valuation of when I bought the company the previous year. So within, I mean, it was like probably 18 months, maybe 15, 16 months from the time I bought the company to the time I raised the money with the valuation 50 X because I stepped out and I, and I put people in place to be able to expand the business. Um, so anyways, I, 
anybody out there that hasn't heard that book, I, that's, and it's stuck, go read the book and apply it. Cause it's, it's, it's life-changing for sure. And, and you hit the nail on the head, right? It, it comes down to control. It mm-hmm. is, it is the unhealthy coping that we've learned through our lives to create the safety we're lacking because we don't have boundaries. So I yeah. always talk about this. I teach this all the time that the biggest wall we have is the our control issues. And that is the biggest limiter to our success. And that's it right there, right? Being able to let go of control, have healthy boundaries, which means responsibility, expectations, accountability for your team, for your people, and being able to effectively delegate and let go of control because we are the ones that get in the way when everything comes back to us. We're not going to be able to scale. And that's what it means to be influential, that you step back and let go. Like it's mm-hmm. focus, it's flow, and it's letting go. <laughs> no, that's that's definitely the key. And but who who who's here to teach us that? <laughs> Until we have to figure it out ourselves or read yeah. a book, right? That's that's the hard part. It's like, oh crap, I should have been doing that forever ago. <laughs> it's literally how I became specialized in teaching that exact stuff was because I did not have that skill set myself. It was I had to start finding those coaches and mentors to teach me because I have my rock bottom moment. I'm like, Oh wait. Oh, okay. I hate myself because I'm trying to control everything but me. Yeah. So it was literally hiring mentors and coaches to start figuring out how to build a relationship with myself to stop trying to control anything externally, start taking control of me, mastering my time, energy, and emotions, building those boundaries. And it's like, oh, look at how things change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lose half my body weight, let uh, be able to save my marriage, create a successful business empire, right? Like grow the team, all the things, and do it in that place of freedom, fun, fulfillment. Yep, I love that. Yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. So, so, so good. Now with all of the stuff that you've been doing now, you, you also have a nonprofit. Is that? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're still creating it. So the nonprofit mm-hmm. is um, kind of going back to the, the, the mental health, mm-hmm. like how can we actually put our money where our mouth is? Right. So the messaging with dirty dough is the inside matters most, right? Life is imperfect and it's messy. It's meant to be enjoyed. So like our company mission statement is my personal mission statement with two more words in there, but it's to find joy and fulfillment despite life's dirtiness in ourselves and others, right? So throwing in the dirty in there, but we don't need to seek that perfection. So how do we, um, other than just giving a positive message, how else can we affect people? Well, we need to teach them and educate them and who Well, we need to, we need to start at kids. So the, the goal of the nonprofit and what we'll be doing is calling schools and saying, Hey, you know, do, do you guys have, have you ever heard of a wellness center? And most of them have, cause they're popping up all over the country. And what you're doing is you're converting an old classroom into something brand new that doesn't feel like school anymore, but it's all focused on the productivity of mental health. So, Hey, if you have the classroom, we'll fund it and we'll provide the program. You just need to have the classroom. And then we call Stacy and say, Hey, you know, the, the middle school that you went to, they have a, 
a classroom that, and they want to, they're willing to convert it to a wellness room. As corporate, we're going to put up a few grand. We want you to put up a few grand. Then they're going to drive traffic to your store. Um, and we're going to do a fundraising night. And then we're going to send out an email blast to all the parents, let them know what we're doing with an Amazon wish list, and then they can go buy the paintings or the couch or the diffuser, whatever's in this wellness room to get people involved. But we have four methods of raising the money. And these are like $10,000, $15,000. So they're not that expensive, especially when you're raising money with the four people. And then we have a wellness center now that kids can come in, take a break and learn about coping mechanisms and learning how to let go of the past. You know, they could grab a, a tablet and see what it's like to live in the moment and be present and guided meditation and happiness mindset and breathing exercises and changing your physiological state. So we wanna build these in K through 12 schools with the goal of building at least one wellness center per franchise that we open. So right mm -hmm. now, if we've done 90 in eight months, I think we can get to a thousand. I mean, that's the goal, a thousand of these and at least a thousand wellness centers so we can make a really big impact and teach kids of all ages on how to be proactive with, with the mental health. Mm. I absolutely love that. And actually, when we wrap up, I am going to make sure that I connect you with someone who's on the um, mental health board for the state of Utah and oh, awesome. somebody who also has a nonprofit that focuses on supporting youth um, in Utah. Oh, he, was, I love uh, that. A, yeah. he's a, he was a guest. Sean Vieira was a guest actually on my show recently. And uh, that's what he's doing. So I think you two definitely will make some magic and impact in the world, um, collaborating in that same purpose and passion. So I think- it'll Yeah, for sure. No, I'd, I'd appreciate that. The whole model of Dirty Dough or of anything that I do is just about connecting with the right people for sure and uh, putting our minds together and seeing what's out there. Because we've we've developed a, what, what I consider the most simple and scalable food franchise model that exists out of any- food franchise. And that was, did I develop it? Yes and no, kind of right. It was really just, I told a hundred people my idea. And every time my idea got a little bit better because they gave me valuable feedback. And then I went and cross-checked it with somebody else who either validated it or challenged it. And I kept doing that till only the good idea stuck. Then we implemented it and it's been, it's been going really well. So mental health side and the nonprofit, I know it's going to be the same. It's just getting connected with the right people who know more than myself. I love that. Well, I, I think the perfect summation of our entire conversation today really is success is not a solo sport. You For know, sure. from yeah. from from being willing to be proactive and get help, uh, you know, through therapy, investing in coaches and mentors, and and just putting our things out there to get that feedback from other people right? That, that you were open to that, um, the, the positive and the constructive and allowing it to be this malleable thing that really was, was collaborative, you know, with so many people being a part of it and that none of us are here alone yeah. ever. It's always about being willing to ask for help and more importantly, being open to receive it. Yep. Yeah, the, the connections that we build are so are so key to to any success, right? Right. Whether that's success in in the family or financial or just your overall happiness level. Def, definitely, the relationships are what it's all about. Always. 
So, so, so good. So I am certain people are going to want to connect with you and learn more about you and Dirty Dough and all the things that you've got going. So where can they find you online? Um, my website. So bennettmaxwell.com, B-E-N-N-E-T-T-M-A-X-W-E-L-L. So right there, you can follow me on social media. I try to put up good content try to provide as much value as I, as, as I possibly can. You can also look into the franchise opportunity, inquire about that, get some more info. So yeah, that's the best spot to connect with me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. Any final thought before we wrap up? Um, No, I, I, I love the conversation. I, I like that we didn't go in. Usually it's like, what have you done with Dirty Dough? Have you sold all that? And it, But we went completely off of it and I, and I liked it because what we talked about is, vastly more important than building a, a, a very scalable business, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because no matter what we do outside, we're always with ourselves. So yep. I, I, I've gotten that feedback a lot. I get guests on here who are like, oh my gosh, I get, I get to talk about things I never got to talk about elsewhere. Yes. And then I hear that from the audience who follows people all the time. And they're like, I just learned something completely new about somebody wow. I've been following for years because we get to talk about other stuff here. So yeah, so I've really appreciated that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. It's just been an amazing, amazing conversation. And for those of you listening, of course, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review if you enjoyed our conversation today and download that influential app so you always have this podcast and all our other exclusive resources right in your pocket. And remember, as always, you are enough. And I will see you in the next episode.